Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery, be it with addictive cravings, depression and anxiety, or improving sleep. Founded and run by a father-son team, both in recovery, this issue is personal for them. Learn more at exactnature.com, and as a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 to receive a 20% discount at purchase. Again, TSD20 at exactnature.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sober Day friends, welcome to the Sobriety Diaries. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic seven years from my last drink. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who lived them. Check us out at thesobrietydiaries.com for all things podcast related. And for all our video interviews, head over to youtube.com slash Nate Kelly. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Recovery is possible. I am here with a longtime friend. It's weird for me to say that. Usually I jump in by saying my new friend, but this is a different experience for me as well. We are here with one of my longest friends, Lizzie. Let's just put it out there. We're both a little nervous. We are both a little uh, out of our element. And even after so many of these that I've done, it's different for me to talk to people that I know personally and know on such a deep level. So this is going to be a new experience for me, uh, probably a new experience for the listeners as well. I'm glad that that you agreed to, to tell your story today and that we get to share this experience together. Lizzie has a unique story in that her journey and and her addiction that we will hear more about today comes from a place that, you know, started as necessary to really live life, right? With, with pain yeah. management and it just evolved into something that turned away from being only pain management. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that is uh, the uniqueness of the story that we will hear today. So I think one of the things I didn't realize until after I had kind of made it through the storm was that one of the things I was self-medicating at a certain point was anxiety. So I want to start where I feel like things went off the rails with anxiety in conjunction with the chronic pain. So 
I was born, I found out um, much later, but I was born with a congenital kidney defect and it causes me to have um, a lot of kidney stones and pain. So that was fine. I mean, when you and I met, I had already, that was part of my, my life. So this is fast forward 2007. I'm done with college. I'm in my career. I just gotten married and Oh, up until that point we lived together. Yeah. Yeah. So we met, we met when I was 16 and, and not to hijack your story, but I think, you know, once we get into more current day stuff, it'll make sense. But we met when I was still in high school through my sister who you were roommates with in college and we really hit it off. And, uh, you know, I was kind of obsessed with you for a long time and, and yeah, to a degree. And, you know, we ended up in, in, in at the same college for a period of time and lived together, you know, as we graduated and sort of moved into adulthood and starting our careers. And uh, so we've definitely been through different phases of our lives together. Um, but then, yeah, let's jump to after, I guess, the wedding or where you want to pick it up to. But yes, we had already been through a lot of stuff together and, yeah. and a large portion of our lives together at this point. Yeah. And I think the time that we lived together was probably a breeding ground. I mean, not that the environment was a breeding ground, but that was kind of like the period right before both of us probably lost control yes, a little. For sure. Um, Maybe, yes. So for me, it was like getting married. And then I had just started a new job that year. And I feel like it was around 2008 or I think it was 2009 that I started feeling like immense anxiety every day when I would wake up for work. Like um, I had been in and out of of work on FMLA because of the chronic condition, just like in college, you know, I would be gone for a quarter and then come back. So I thought that I was used to it, you know, but when it starts to affect your performance and somebody's telling you like, this is affecting how, how we see you and, and in turn, how I saw myself rather than just getting a D in a class, you know, it's just like, Oh, whatever it out of my mind. So the anxiety really started to get to me. I think this is in hindsight, you know, at the time, because I do try to figure out how I allow doctors to just keep shoving more medication at me because that's, that's really what happened. I was able to manage pain medication from when I was a teenager, you know, and in college, I remember friends would be like, Oh, let me have one of those. And I'd be like, okay, what's the big deal? You know, I, I didn't even understand really. Um, because they weren't, it wasn't a fun thing for me, you know? And so I think that in 2009 was when I feel like I started putting a lot of focus and attention on making sure I had medication. Like just the idea of not having it made me feel anxious. And one of the things with chronic pain that people with it would know is that you aren't ever really without pain. It's just, you're capacity to cope with it. And so when your anxiety is heightened, you don't have that capacity that you could if you if you didn't have the the anxiety. So um that plays that plays a lot into it. You said something <laughs> that like really struck me and that I hadn't really thought of because it affected me as well that this idea of other people noticing things that affect them in a professional setting and uh, referencing it back to like 
just getting a D in a class, that makes so much sense. It's like you are affecting other people around you and in a professional setting, they're not going to be shy to let you know that either. So right. it does it does create that almost that like dread or that feeling of yeah. like doom when you're like getting ready to go to work in the morning. It felt like a storm. Every time I woke up in the morning, it felt like a storm. And then as it progressed, when I would wake up, you know, like when you wake up at like 4am and you hit your alarm and you're yeah. like, yeah, I have two more hours. <laughs> yeah. So it was affecting that time as well. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to exist. You know, yeah. I have to exist in two hours. So that would start me being like, oh, I can't fall back asleep. I can't fall back asleep because I'm in pain. I'm going to take some pain medicine. So then I would be groggy when I would wake up. And I think that that would affect me too. And, you know, going back, actually, I think even when we lived together, I was having issues with work. Like um, my attendance was poor. Yeah. And I do think that the anxiety had always been affecting me, but I think it got out of hand, like where it started to like negatively affect my career and where I saw my future going, you know, yeah. because I felt like I had always had that under control. So I think it was 2011 that I was put into, so 2009, I'm, I'm in and out of FMLA and it's just, I'm just trying to survive. And it's kind of a blur. I was just waking up. I mean, sometimes I would just wake up in the morning, just full crying, like couldn't breathe crying. Yeah. I didn't even really know why. If I really asked myself, am I in this much pain? It wasn't, it wasn't all pain. Yeah. Um, you said another thing, that feeling that we just have to exist. And yeah. it's like a lot to, that's a lot for people that deal with heightened anxiety on a, on a regular basis. And sometimes you don't even know where it's coming from. It's just mm -hmm. this idea that we have to exist. Now that I've gotten older and I'm starting to like unpack where some of my anxiety comes from, I feel like I'm becoming more aware, but it's like a lifetime of unpacking. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not, it's not an easy task whatsoever. And my ability when I was younger to kind of push things out of my mind stopped existing when I got older and it didn't have anything to do with medication or even anxiety maybe a little bit of anxiety but I think it just happens with age like you just yeah you can't ignore things that you used to be able to ignore so I was put into pain management in 2011 that was another like turning point because up until that point I was only going to give me what doctors could give me they have rules you know how much they can prescribe a patient right. without getting flagged and so in 2011, I was put into pain management. I remember at the time thinking like, oh, good, I'm in, I'm in pain management. This is going to be easier now for me. Yeah, yeah. But really, in hindsight, like, was, I mean, I don't think I ever would have been able to avoid it, but it is where things went off the rails with quantity, you know? So at this point, had it progressed from the delivery method to, was it pills to patches to different... I mean, had you progressed to different? Um, no. So before 2011, I was just 100% like Percocet or Vicodin. Okay. Like there was, I think a few times I was given like um, something stronger in a pill form, but only when I was in the hospital, are you given the stuff that like works fast yeah. typically. So at this point I was, I mean, the reason I got put in pain management is because I was in and out of the hospital so much. They really only do anything if it's, if there's a surgical intervention needed. So it's just kind of like, oh yeah, you know, deal with it type thing. So I, I got put into pain management and, um, that's when the, the delivery method changed. Like I was, I remember being given, um, 
uh, like a long lasting Percocet type pill at that point. Um, but it didn't work. And then the doctor switched me over to fentanyl patches Mm. and I started low with those and they, they did work. They were keeping me out of the hospital less. I don't know. It worked for the pain, but I think that was also the beginning of the end of, cause my personality was gone. I mean, it started then. I don't know at what point it got to a point where it just got away from me so much that I kind of woke up one day and I was like, I don't even know who I am. Yeah. That's when things started to change. And then what really happened is I would have these situations of going in the emergency room and, and pain management doctors, it, there are some good pain management doctors, but the one I was seeing at the time was what people kind of refer to as like a pill mill type thing. I mean, it was, it was above board. Everything was legit, but they were seeing so many patients a day and they didn't really have a lot of time for you. So it was like, you go in to get your refills and it's like, Oh, you've been in the hospital twice or, you know, you had this surgery, you know, since I saw you last and it was just like, here's an increase, here's an increase. And I don't remember at, at what point in what order they got increased. But by the time I went into detox, I was on like 125 mics of fentanyl patch, which is like 25 higher than what they only go to hundred. So I was given two to put on at a time. Wow. And then I was given like, I mean, I can't even remember, honestly, I know that my, my um, pain pills were 30 milligrams, which is just insane to me, but I was given like six a day, which is like, it's just insane to me. And then on top of that, I would have like dilated in some form. So like dilated suppositories. Um, at one point I had those fentanyl suckers. Yeah. And, or like the spray that you would just, I remember the first time I got the spray, like I, I was like, oh, I'm going to try this. Cause I was in a lot of pain. And I felt like I was on a roller coaster and I mean, roller coasters are fun. Like you can't, <laughs> there's no way around that, you know? So it was like, oh, this is going to kill my pain. And I get to forget about existing for a while, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, um, one of the things my husband talks about that was scary for him was like with the fentanyl suckers is that like, I would like go to use one. And then like, I would like fall asleep and have one in my mouth. It was an yeah. escape. Yeah. yeah. You had the benefit of it relieving pain and, and the escapism. Yeah. But what ends up happening is when you escape from something, when you come back to reality, it's even more intense. Right. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, I just didn't, you know, I was able to not exist for however many hours. And now I'm like back to existing. Am I even in pain? do I want more pain medication? Yeah. Am I in enough pain to take pain medication? And so it becomes a slippery slope. Like, and like I said, I have, I mean, I think I've probably suffered from anxiety my whole life. I have ADHD, like on such a severe level, as you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, I think anxiety has always existed. And there's also this kind of process you go through, and this is probably true with any addiction and not just, you know, chronic illness is the fact that you're in some sort of chronic illness or addiction feeds the anxiety, which you then need to escape from. Yes. So it's like, it's such a slippery slope. Like it gives me chills thinking about because one, sometimes I can't believe that I like I got out, you know, that I was able to pull myself out because I don't consider myself to be a strong person, but like, I'm like, Oh, I was, I was strong to you, you know, for sure. One minute. <laughs> 
Um, the just strength that it takes for someone to have that realization. And I mean, it is the hardest thing I've ever done. I'm sure you, you can agree that the best decision, but decisions like that don't, don't come easy and it's fucking hard. It's so hard. Okay. I remember being 33 and sitting in the hospital and just being like, I looked at my hospital band and I was like, Oh, I'm 33. That's interesting. I thought I could have sworn I was 32 or maybe I thought I was 34. I just remember thinking, Oh, I'm 33. Hmm. Probably for a couple of years, I, you know, was thinking a lot about, you know, my husband and I had been married since 2007. We did want to have a child. Um, I was, it kind of, my weight has always ebbed and flowed, but I know right before I went into detox that year, I was very much the most overweight I had ever been. And that was also affecting my anxiety and my happiness and my, my ability to cope, you know? And so I remember consulting like doctors at the time and they were like, well, yeah, people can still have a baby, but they just have to, you know, go through detox when they're born. And I was just like, what? No, like there is no way. And not to, not to diminish anybody that has done that. Like that, I mean, that is fine to be able to admit to doctors when you're pregnant that you are taking medication is a noble thing so that they're prepared when the baby's born. Right. So, but I just couldn't go into it planning like that. Like I wasn't going to plan for a child with that. And that's just me. I wouldn't have been able to handle it with my anxiety. So I was in so much pain, like with the most pain medication that I was on in my life, I was in the most pain in my life. In hindsight, I know that at the time, I just thought this was the escalation of chronic pain. Like I didn't know any better. Right. But I, I knew that there was like this nugget of hope that I could be in less pain if I did this. And I wanted to have a baby. I wanted to lose weight. And I wasn't going to be motivated to, to do anything if I was laying in my bed spaced out all the time, you know? Right. right. So I remember I had been thinking about this for a while. And I, I had to have like a family member drive me to my doctor's appointments because I didn't even feel comfortable driving, which is good, which is a good thing. Um, but I remember I was walking back out to my mom's car after one of my doctor's appointments. And I remember looking at the sky, it was so blue. The clouds were so white. And I just remember thinking, it's okay. It's tough. (laughs) Somehow the strength just came over me. Like you can do this, you know? I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm crying because I'm thankful. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know where I'd be. Like, I don't know where I'd be if that hadn't happened. 